Welcome to Hacks and Jacks, a fantasy baseball podcast. As always, I'm Joe Galina, and I'm always joined by my man, Scott Chu. Scott, how's it going? Not too bad, all things considered. I just had surgery on my knee, so I've been um, moving around very slowly. And the closest thing I get to exercise is a machine that moves my leg very, very slowly. But Mm. uh, other than that, can't complain, right? Pain hasn't really set in. It still itches sometimes, but whatever, you know, at least I get, I have something to, I'm going to have something to do during this recovery and that's watch baseball, Joe. Yeah. And like you said, I think you tweeted out that uh, your draft prep is just going to go through the roof now for the next, you know, eight days or so. Yeah, it's a lot easier when you don't have as many real life responsibilities, right? right? (laughs) But I can just sit on a thing that moves my leg for, they recommend six hours a day. It's like back when I was in like undergrad and instead of paying attention to lecture, I researched fantasy, right? I'm I'm back to it. I'm in my prime. And if anybody bothers you, just use the knee as uh, an excuse that anyone tries to get you to do anything. Oh, I figure I got a good two or three months of that. Two, three months. Uh, multiply that by. Oh, yeah. Know. Stretch that out. The full <laughs> yeah. year, at least. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, we're recording this podcast on March 29th, about 834 p.m. Eastern time. And uh, by the time you get to listen to this podcast, you'll have ooh, uh, about eight days until opening day, Scott. Scott, I woke up yesterday morning. It was 23 degrees here in New York. Today was like 38 for a high. But what warms my heart is that baseball season is just right around the corner. And we're in the heart of draft season as well. Yeah, I mean, everything's been condensed because of the the labor, you know, the labor stoppage. And so we're trying to squeeze everything in. I'll tell you that uh, it's the, the cold weather in April is and March is you know, would joke among us that, you know, those of us that live in the cold, harsh North, but it's also a reality in fantasy season. So like we're all, we should already be talking about it, right? Mm -hmm. Tons of games get canceled. Games are miserable to play in, especially if it rains, you know, in, in New York or in Detroit or something like that, it it is nasty, nasty conditions. So uh, that is definitely something to keep an eye on when you're doing your early season roster management. Yeah, you're mostly going to be starting your studs, but keep an eye on that weather, especially when you're trying to stream pitching and things like that. Sure. We talk about it every year. Right. And, uh, you know, we've watched games uh, where there's been snow flurries and it's been pretty cool to watch. But you're right that that first month of uh, April, the first couple of weeks, a lot of times, especially like you mentioned, uh, you know, Detroit, New York, uh, northeast cities like Boston and stuff. So. Uh, do keep that in mind. But uh, hey, we're just going to touch on a bunch of stuff uh, today and uh, basically a potpourri uh, of information, lots of player news and other stuff. And let's start with uh, the talk of humidors. Remember the uh, humidor situation, right? A, a few years back, uh, the Diamondbacks and the Rockies started using a humidor to store their baseballs. They uh, were using it so that their balls wouldn't be as buoyant. There wouldn't be as many home runs hit. And then eventually eight other teams joined them in using it. And and now uh, Eno Saris from The Athletic is reporting that all teams are going to be storing their baseballs in humidors uh, this season. And uh, he notes that in high humidity environments, 
the humidors will actually dry out baseballs, thereby theoretically, Scott, adding some distance to their quote-unquote relative trajectory. So he says that maybe, maybe San Francisco, San Diego, Tampa Bay, and Miami might be some of the parks where we might see a slight uptick in the buoyancy of the baseballs because of these humidors. Yeah, I think, you know, in in a few places, it's very noticeable. So we notice it a lot in Colorado. We notice it a lot in Arizona, which was like, uh, you know, Coors Coors Light, so to speak, uh, back before they got the humidor. But other than that, I think it's going to be largely a wash because you are going to see some places get better. (laughs) Some are going to be some are going to be worse, but it's not going to change much and and it's not it's not going to be nearly as dramatic as you saw with Colorado and Arizona who have extremely dry environments so the ball was literally lighter Mm -hmm. playing there so the breaking balls didn't move as well not just because of the air density but because the ball was lighter and then of course it went further because the ball was lighter Uh, it all comes back to that how much water's in the ball so it's a big deal for Colorado and Arizona, but they already had it. So with other places, it's not going to be, it's simply just not going to be that big of an issue, at least not to the extent where you can use it in draft season. It might be a very, it's going to be more of a single start analysis DFS style thing. If you're really going to care right? and only in the fringes, right? Most stadiums, it just doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. I just wonder also if baseball is going to stick to using one, actual type of baseball remember last year they used the baseball that supposedly wasn't going to be as bouncy and then we heard after the season was over that you know at times that we using different variations of the baseball so uh, we'll, we'll see what happens but uh, sticky stuff in the news again there scott sports illustrated uh, first reported that a memo was sent out from major league baseball to teams last friday stating that the Sticky stuff checkups are going to return. And this season, though, umpires are going to be inspecting a pitcher's hands. So uh, during the random between inning inspections, umps are still going to look at the hats and the belts and the gloves like they did last season. Uh, Remember, it started last June. But, uh, uh, you know, uh, basically uh, MLB attempting to eliminate the foreign substances from pitchers. And in the beginning, There was a plunge in spin rates for the first few weeks, and then there was a bit of a bounce back in spin rates for much of the second half. So, uh, like I said, just keep this in mind. Uh, They're really going to be sticklers about it. And if you ask me, uh, from what I saw, you know, because I watch a lot of Yankee games, and I hate to keep on bringing up the Yankees, but I just watch a lot of their games. Don't draft Garrett Cole and don't draft Araldis Chapman because, man, once that sticky stuff, uh, that inspection started happening, their uh, performance sharply declined. And, uh, hey, from what I saw from last season, Jonathan Loesica is the guy to roster in the Yankees bullpen. I do really like Loesica. So this isn't to say I don't agree with your mm-hmm. take on Loesica. However, I don't care as much about the sticky stuff uh, because now players have had a whole offseason to figure out how they're going to get that spin right back. Hmm. And uh, it might be from experimenting with grips. It might be experimenting with legal sticky stuff. It might be experimenting with all kinds of things, but they're going to get it back. They're going to get their confidence back. I think that there are some guys that were just 
only you know heavily reliant on spider attack or whatever but mm-hmm. for the most part again i think most pitchers are gonna rebound we saw a lot of them do it during the year last year so it, again it's news it's important but it it is never going to be a central narrative for me on performance mm-hmm. right like it, it would have to be a very specific set of circumstances and, and i'm you know i'm pretty sure this is true for nick too it, it, it's it's always it's more of a second or third or fourth part of the story never the lead. No, I agree with you. But uh, on the other hand, I will say that, hey, you know, baseball, like you said, that, you know, pitchers have probably figured out a way to, you know, circumvent this. But on the other hand, I think Major League Baseball knows that, and that's why now they're checking hands. But I agree with you. I mean, it's, you know, if there are two pitchers that I think that are equal in, uh, you know, uh, ability and production, if I if I noticed that maybe last year that right after the sticky stuff they really took a downturn, then I'll, I'll you know I might use that in my evaluation. But like you said, just something to keep in your back pocket, right? Yeah, it's a footnote. Yeah, yeah. All right, so let's get to to some news here. Tommy Pham uh, signs with the Reds, and uh, it might be gained some maybe deeper league five outfield league value. Going to be playing some left field for the Reds and plays home games and what we know is a very hitter friendly park and uh, most projection models project mid to upper teen home runs for him and mid teen stolen bases. I mean, how do you think that this affects his uh, fantasy value in your opinion? I always forget how old Tommy Pham is because his breakout was a while ago, but it came pretty late in his career as well. He was one of these like age 29 breakout guys. Right. So I think that repeating last season with a better batting average feels about right. Um, I haven't looked as much. I mean, his plate appearance, his plate discipline still good. I haven't looked it as much into why he struggled so much to find, uh, like, especially like doubles power and things like that. He's still getting the home runs a bit, but the, the power seems really light. Haven't dug into that a ton, but it is nice to see him go somewhere where I know he's going to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the reds went from having a really crowded outfield to uh, a very wide open one with platoons all over the place, but I do think Tommy Pham is probably there every day left fielder. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, Rockies and the Blue Jays exchanged outfielders. Randall Grichuk is now a Rocky. Uh, ups his fantasy value for me uh, last season. Very streaky, uh, but uh, especially early in the season, did a really good job filling in for George Stringer. Seems like he's going to be playing every day for the Rockies again. Another very good ballpark for hitters, very hitter friendly. Uh, what are we thinking that we're looking at for him? Uh, Scott, um, still maybe a two fifty plus batting average, maybe a little higher, maybe two sixty, and maybe upper twenty to lower thirty home run totals. First of all, why? Why do they do this? They have young good outfielders in their system that they need to get a good look at and what do they do they trade for randall freaking grychik who for all accounts is a fine hitter but is not some unknown commodity we know exactly what he is Mm -hmm. and he's not a re like he's not part of a rebuild right his window of usefulness will start coming down pretty soon right uh i so i have no idea why this happened Uh, it doesn't make any sense to me but it did i think that he should produce similarly that he did in Toronto because while he will have a better batting average in Colorado there will be fewer runners to drive in because that offense is still atrocious so it feels about right I mean he played 
he did play 149 games for the Blue Jays last season. And that line feels close to right. 25 home runs, plenty of RBI could just because he plays every day, bats six. So he gets an RBI every other day, you know, as many runs as the bottom third of the Rockies can drive in for you, hmm. which ain't a ton. Um, he's fine. He's, he's just a guy to me. <laughs> he, I, I think mean, it he, raises his value a little bit. I mean, it, I mean, it does you know, in, five, it, in five outfield leagues. Yeah, um, I mean, it takes him from, you know, don't care to back end <laughs> starter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's fine. Yeah. Right. And, and you'll probably stream him in shallower leagues when he has these home, you know, when he's sure. when he's hot, especially when he's at home and hot, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he's going to be atrocious on the road because it's hard to be a Rocky on the road because of the impact of that stadium. Things like the humidors will help uh, and make it a little easier so that you don't go from like Colorado, which is one of the driest environments to San Francisco, which is one of the wettest, but it's still going to be tough. He's still going to be not as useful as the final numbers might make you think, uh, which is sort of how I feel about CJ Crone too, mm-hmm. but full-time playing time, plenty of power should have a decent batting average. Thanks to course. Yeah. It's hard to be a Rocky on the road. It almost sounds like a title to a country song, right? Yeah, it really is. I like that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, and it, it's come up time and time again. There's a reason mm-hmm. those road splits are always so bad. And it's because they have to react to a ball that moves differently than it did for the last six games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and the other side of that trade saw Rymel Tapia head over to the Blue Jays. And if anything, I think that that just, hurts his fantasy value. I know you were never really big into Tapia, but uh, he was a guy that, you know, maybe 10 home runs, 20 steals, pretty decent batting average. But now I'm thinking he's just going to be a a, a platoon DH, right? I mean, there's no way that he, unless there's a series of injuries, I don't think there's any way that he gets everyday playing time in that tremendous uh, batting lineup that the Blue Jays put out every week, maybe a late inning pinch runner. No, I mean he's there because they need lefties. Yeah, and yeah. they don't they don't have them, right? So he'll play against righties. He'll give you someone th- a breather. You Lord think he's going to get that much? I know that you're right. That was a very right-handed lineup. But do you think that he gets enough? What do you project in terms oh, he doesn't of? Ma- he still isn't. He's not a top. I mean, he doesn't matter in twelve teamers unless right. you have five outfield and you're speed desperate. And mm-hmm. it's daily, so you can pull him in and out. But Toppy is also 28. He's, you know, a little post prospect, right? So they're gonna they're throwing whatever they can to the wall and see what sticks. I think this is a great move for their team. Toppy is a lot more useful to uh, to the Blue Jays than Grychik would be because Grychik was just a lesser version of what their entire lineup already was. Mm-hmm. So I think Tapia will get some time at DH and in one yeah. of the corner outfields. And... He'll be fine. You might use him in DFS or stream him in a five outfield league with, you know, 12 teams sometimes, but that's it. There's just not, you know, he didn't matter that much to me before, and now he's not going to play as much. Yeah. I'm actually looking at Rasa Resource. They project him to get more playing time than I thought he might. Uh, They're saying that he's going to get 427 plate appearances and seven home runs and 14 stolen bases with a 270 average. So uh, I guess you're right. You know, like, you know, we had, we talked about the uh, Blue Jays lineup being so right-handed heavy. So, uh, yeah, maybe he might get some time. 
yeah, it'll just slap the ball from the left side a few times and it'll be mm-hmm. fine. Right. Yeah. Those, those projection systems all have like similar final lines on them, which is like not enough power to matter and double digit stolen bases. And that those double digit stolen bases are uh, essentially what gets him on your roster in NFBC style leagues, 15 team, five outfield uh, roto because you need to steal so bad. But in like head to head or head to head categories, Tapia is a non, he just doesn't matter. Right. Until you start getting to only leagues and 15, 16 team leagues with deep rosters, he just doesn't matter. No. All right, let's move over to uh, Southern California news. A little uh, feel good story. Uh, maybe not that really fantasy relevant, but uh, former Angel and Dodger and former Cardinal and Cardinal again, Albert Pujols, uh, is going to end up his storied career in St. Louis, which is pretty cool uh, for one last season. Uh, probably going to DH some, and uh, he's still pretty decent against left-handed pitching. Batted 294 against lefties last season, and uh, just the end to a tremendous career. 679 home runs coming into this season, 3,301 hits, 297 batting average. Not much to say about uh, Pujols, but nice to see him come back home. Yeah, why not? I mean, he was going to retire a Cardinal anyway. Now he can do it on their actual roster for a while. Mm-hmm. I guess um, they don't not need him. <laughs> they, <laughs> it's a weird roster. I mean, it's, it's a couple, you know, it's like these weird, like remnants of the past. They have, you know, like, cause between Pujols, who's 42, you got Yachty, who's yeah. almost 40. You right. got Goldie, who's almost 35. Uh, you've got Corey Dickerson, who they signed, who's like, you know, in his thirties. Uh, and then they've got, Tommy Edmond and Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson. And it's like, it's this really weird mix of young and old for them, but yeah, it's, it's fine. I mean, he's just another right-handed hitter for them. Uh, they don't need him, but they don't not need him. Um, Corey Dickerson is slated to be their other DH and he'll be the big side of the platoon and pools will be the short. It's not like you are going to give up ticket sales because you started pool holes against a lefty instead of Corey Dickerson. Right. 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 So and you didn't mention Paul DeYoung, who's going to be given another chance to play shortstop for them yeah, every whatever. day. <laughs> he, I mean, he hasn't been fantasy relevant for quite some time, to be honest. He had, he had that one run in 2019, and even that wasn't what it seemed because it was like all in the first month of the season. But he gets a lot of hype for a guy who's like a 241 career hitter, mm-hmm. right? Um, who hasn't slugged 450 since his rookie year. Okay. He, he just doesn't. He doesn't move the needle for fantasy. Can't argue with you. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, he doesn't do anything. <laughs> he's an NL only guy because he plays. Right. He's a fine uh, re- real life player. He's like a two war guy. Neat. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Stick him in the Southern California uh, area. And we need it here because it's really cold here in the Northeast. But anyway, uh, the Dodgers. Uh, announced that uh, Tony Gonsolin and Andrew Heaney are going to round out their rotation. Uh, Gonsolin was 4-1 with a 3.23 ERA last season. Uh, And Heaney uh, basically having a real tough spring, 16.88 ERA uh, in 5.1 innings pitched, giving up a couple of home runs. What I remember of him last season just – you know, started, uh, didn't start, but played 12 games for the Yanks, uh, gave up home run after home run, um, 
13 home runs and 35.2 innings pitched last season. That's a 3.3 home run per nine. Some people were thinking that he would be this season's Robbie Ray. And, uh, you know, we can't put too much credence into spring training numbers, but 16.88 ERA is pretty tough. Yeah. It doesn't matter who you are. (laughs) The, I mean, really, I, it's interesting news from a draft perspective, maybe in some respect. Yeah, but... it would make me uh, look think twice of you know drafting Tony Gonsolin, you know, in a deeper league. Yeah, yeah, you know, in, in most of the leagues, I think that our listeners are in like these twelve teamers. He's like a last couple rounds guy. Yeah, especially if the early season schedule works out for him. I haven't looked, but whatever. Andrew Heaney, I can't believe he's on another contending team. It's, but but they keep believing in him, so that's cool. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not, I'm not going to hate on him too hard. Like good for him. I think we're going to see guys come in and out of this rotation all year. Uh, it, it's not quite the same as it used to be, but I wouldn't be surprised to see Mitch white get a look at some yeah. point this year. Good, um, good point. Yeah. Yeah. That that's a name that I could really see coming out. Uh, mm-hmm. They have a whole host of like, uh, you know, like starter slash long guys that were non roster invitees. So I mean they have they have players that'll that'll be interesting uh out of the you know out of there and they've got a deep bullpen so I guess they don't really care about about the last two spots in that rotation. I think they really only care about the top 3 and they'll just keep trying stuff uh to see what works in the 4th and 5th spot until really next year when they know they can move Dustin May into one of those mm-hmm. and then be one guy away. And yeah. they, they probably hope it's Gonsolin, but we'll see. Yeah, uh, actually, uh, since we're talking Dodgers, just real quick, I'll mention Kershaw has been looking pretty decent this spring. Uh, on Tuesday, well, today is Tuesday. We're recording this on Tuesday, but Monday, uh, through four scoreless innings um, against the Diamondbacks, so that's pretty good news. Seeing yeah, Kershaw, just, yeah, yeah, just and just a plug for our for our own little site here, um, the Plus Pitch Podcast for our PL Plus listeners. And if you want to be a PL Plus member, you just got to sign up on the site. They get uh, Nick's Plus Pitch Podcast in the mornings, and Nick's been going over a lot of this spring training stuff. And we also have great, uh, you know, obviously free articles on spring training recaps where you can see who's had good days, who's had bad days, some of the news and notes of the day. Uh, The team's doing a really nice job with that. So definitely check those out if you just kind of want to see what's going on. Get, you know, just to have an idea of when people say like, what's up with Mitch, you know, what's up with Mitch Keller. You mm-hmm. might have some idea as to what's up with Mitch Keller. Cause that's in fact, what happened with the show notes. Joe said, we'll need to talk about Mitch Keller. And I said <laughs> in my head, why? And <laughs> it's because he's been good this spring. So Joe, yeah. please tell us why we might want to discuss. Oh, we're going to talk pirates. We'll, we'll keep it. We'll lump him into the pirates. Oh, uh, all right. All right. Yeah. Cause like you said, pirates get a pirate. We got to talk about the pirates, but also <laughs> since you mentioned, <laughs> since you mentioned uh, uh, Nick, Nick Pollock, I, I, I tune in when I can because I'm working through the day, you know, when it's on, but he has this Twitch live feed that he does every day. So follow picture list on, on Twitch and you get to see Nick every day. Uh, giving you updates on uh, what to expect for that day, for, for the day uh, forward, and for what happened the previous day. He answers lots of questions live. It's, it, I was listening this morning. It was pretty cool. Um, so a little plug for 
picture list on Twitch. Um, so uh, sticking in, I want to stick in, in Southern California. You're trying to get me out of here, but it, it just feels warm being in here, Scott. So let's talk Jared Walsh, uh, left-handed hitting first baseman for the Angels. And uh, lefty pitching really handcuffed him last season against lefties. It was uh, 170, 208, 357, triple slash, did hit 10 home runs in uh, 182 at-bats, but uh, spent part of the winter hitting against a pitching machine that was angled in such a way as if to stimulate that the ball was coming from a left-handed pitcher. But I was reading that, if uh, according to Joe Madden, he might be thinking about sitting him against some tough lefties because, uh, first of all, they, they still have Justin Upton on the team. They got to find him some some at-bats, right? Um, and he doesn't have any more. Justin Upton doesn't have any more standalone fantasy value, at least in my opinion. But you may uh, look to put him in the lineup against uh, some some lefties. Only batted 225 against lefties, but had a 355 OBP against them. And Upton had seven home runs and 89 at-bats uh, against lefties. But, it, you know, look, it's, it's good to see that Walsh realizes that he needed that extra work against left-handed uh, pitching and uh, we'll see what happens. I think it's more likely if anything that he moves down in the lineup against mm-hmm. lefties as opposed to be taken out. Right. They like, they just might not bat him first uh, or bat him third. I'm sorry. Cause you know, most days Otani will lead off and Walsh will hit third. And I think against tougher Southpaws, you might see one or both of those guys get moved around a bit in the order. You might see like a David Fletcher become the leadoff guy instead of Otani. You might see, Oh, like, like a Justin Upton cram in the lineup somehow, but like they don't really have another first baseman on the roster either, except for like Tyler Wade, who's also left-handed. So, you know, I, I hear like that they, you know, they're worried about his stuff against lefties, but I don't see Justin Upton as a threat to him as much as he's a threat to Brandon Marsh or Joe Adele struggling, because mm-hmm. I do think the one thing the angels are going to feel is pressure, Right. Uh, Trout is now over 30. Rendon is almost 32. You know, Walsh is almost 29. Otani is, you know, he's 27. He's still quite young, but this team is, is one that's probably built more to succeed now than later. So if Marsh or Adele were to struggle significantly, especially with things like strikeouts, I could see them sending one of those guys down. They both still have multiple options and using Justin Upton in their place, which, which stinks because it's not as fun for us but it's something that could happen yeah and, and sometimes justin upton could hurt himself more than other players because he's been uh, slumping past couple of years but good analysis on your part so uh we're going to take a, a quick break and we've got some closer news to tell you about that just came out today on the 29th and uh, we'll also talk some pirates a lot of pirates news today as well uh, we'll uh, be right back right after this. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PO Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at pitcherlist.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code 
podcast. Also, don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from YouTube videos, live streams, newsletters, off-season articles, TikToks, breakdowns, over 15 baseball podcasts on our network. We can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season. So sign up for PL Plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free. All right. Thanks for listening. Let's get back to the show. All right, we're back. Joe Galina, Scott Chu, Hacks and Jacks podcast. And uh, teased before we went on a little break that we got some closer news today. Uh, just in general, Scott, how are you handling closers in your drafts uh, this season? I remember last season you were kind of waiting until the latter rounds to make you move on to closers. Is that how you're handling them again uh, this season? Because, you know, in, in a lot of drafts you see in closers really being – uh, almost overdrafted, you know, drafted earlier in rounds. How, how are you handling them? I, I use what I call the Ricky Bobby method. And that's if I don't get them first, I'm getting them last. Right. If I don't get the early closers, I'm just going to wait because I think the one thing we find repeated over and over again in draft season, it's been brought up by Alex fast. It's been brought up by a lot of people is that we overpay for middling closers. Mm-hmm. We know there's a top tier. We know there's a middle tier. We know there's a bottom tier and we overpay for the middle tier every single time. And so I'm just not going to right now, obviously understanding who's in the top tier and who's in the middle tier can be difficult, but you know, there's, there's a group of guys, right? Like basically I'm never going to pay up for Scott Barlow. That's just not going to happen. Right. It, it's a, it's a job that could get taken from him quickly. Yeah. Uh, it's a job. Yeah, I mean any of those things, but I will I will pay up for like a Ryan Presley. He's got a job, good mm-hmm. team. I know exactly what he's going to do, right? Like those are the guys I want. The Lou Trevinos, no thanks, right? I'd rather just keep waiting and draft like a Paul Sewald or something, right? I mean we did that in I mean no one else cares or remembers, but in our sixteen team head to head league, that's what we did. We didn't get any of the early closers, so we just decided to draft a bunch of ones late and see what stuck and it worked great mm-hmm. right especially in head-to-head category formats as opposed to roto In roto you got to pay a little more attention but you still can't overpay for the middle tiers overpay for the top or get a bunch of speculations right don't don't overpay for the you know for the middle of the road guys don't overpay for the ones that hopefully will you know don't overpay for lou trevino right because oakland will replace him without without any question Mm-hmm. Right. Um, even like overpaying for Corey Canable can be tough because he's got a lot of guys on his tail with closing experience. Yes. Right. The I'm not overpaying a for lot that. of guys that are former closers. Yes. Yeah. I'm not overpaying for someone, you know, even, you know, Giovanni Gallegos. I, I like because um, I think I do think he has a pretty stable job. But, you know, anything going on in Arizona? No, thanks. What's going on in Colorado? No, thanks. Right. Los Angeles, the Dodgers, even no the thing. Dodgers. Yeah. The Dodgers news today that, the Padres. Uh, yeah, Blake, like Blake of, Trinan is not a lot to be their primary closer. You yeah, know, the number of three and four player committees in baseball right now for closing is, is wild. And so like anyone that's in any of those, like those are the guys I'll take at the end of the draft. Mm-hmm. Right. I'll grab, you know, when I'm not, well, like when I'm not really having to pay anything, Right. That's when I'll start 
hoarding almost the, you know, that's where I'm taking the flyer on Ian Kennedy and, uh, you know, and Alex, well, Alex Calame goes earlier, but, and Carlos Estevez or, um, Tyler Rogers, if I have to, he, he's weird, but I also like his ratios or, you know, Jake McGee and Camilo Duvall, Duvall's been a little Alcala too expensive. from the Minnesota. Yeah. No? I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll go and take those flyers, right? Paul Sewald's been a guy I, I do take a lot mm-hmm. late, right? Michael Fulmer, a guy I'll take late. And if it doesn't work out, I'll just move along. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so we did get some news though, uh, from San Francisco, uh, Jorge Montana's MLB writer for NBC sports edge tweeted out an excerpt from a radio interview that giants manager Gabe Kapler gave this past Friday. Uh, and in it, he stated that, uh, Jake McGee would be his closer if the season started today. So there was a lot of speculation, uh, where a lot of people were uh, predicting that uh, Camilo Duval, who closed out a bunch of games for the Giants last September, that he was going to be the guy. Uh, but Duval, nice pitcher, but the fact that he was closing out all those games in September was because McGee was hurt. McGee was basically, you know, the main guy for Kapler last season. Uh, Kapler, don't you know, don't put it past them to you know use someone else from time to time, but. Uh, According to uh, to Kapler, take it for what it's worth. He said if the season was going to start today, and he said this last Friday, that McGee would be his closer. Yeah, and the season didn't start that day, right? No, no. <laughs> so, so Tyler Rogers could get some, uh, you know, closing well, opportunities there too. Yeah, he'll, I mean, he'll get his five, sure. right, filling in. Um, I I can see what he's doing. You're you're not just going to outright name your 24 year old <laughs> closer. Uh, you know, your 24 year old kid with command issues as your closer in front of uh very well seasoned 35 year old Jake McGee who pitched really well in each really of the did. last two yeah. seasons. Uh, so this, this is what I would expect Dave Kapler to say until, you know, what they always say is, you know, people talk a lot till they get punched in the mouth, right? Like managers talk a lot till closers get blown up, right? They tell me who their closer is until they get blown up. Mm-hmm. And then it's someone else and don't, there's not, you know, there's no doubt in my mind that in the right matchups, especially because McGee is a lefty in the right matchups that he's not going to call on Doval to win a game, right? That he's not going to call on Doval to get a righty out against the Dodgers early in the season, right? Those games that he wants to win because he's trying to contend. So it matters in that Doval should probably move down draft boards compared to his ADP. But again, those were guys that you didn't want to be paying up for anyway, because the role wasn't certain. Mm-hmm. And talent is not the driver for a closer role. It's who like, basically it's who was closer before is way more predictive of who is closer now than anything else. Mm-hmm. Way more so than talent. And if you look back to the start of last season, Kapler was basically switching on and off between McGee and, and Rogers. So uh, I expect him to do a little bit of that. Uh, again and also you got to play matchups look all these managers and teams they have so much information at their fingertips in a way it's crazy for them unless you have a mariano rivera or like you know one of the all-time closers to just rely on one guy you know and uh you know you will yankees even announced that uh, chapman that they'd start bringing him in in the eighth inning but the way that they worded it was that you know if 
there were periods where Chapman wasn't getting regular work. They bring him in in the eighth just to keep him fresh. But like I said, I mean, with all the information that managers can use where they could get the best matchup and everything, um, you know, it, it makes more sense for them to kind of have a fluid bullpen. Yeah, basically, if you're not sure if you have a lockdown closer, you don't have one, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, when you're Milwaukee, Josh Hader is your best chance to get an out every time. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't have another guy better at getting an out than him. That's why he's your closer, right? But that's when you'll start to see things like in Atlanta with Kenley Jansen and Will Smith. Yeah. Kenley Jansen is not always their best guy to get a player out, right? I think their team would feel as comfortable or more comfortable with Will Smith coming out as a lefty against a lefty in the ninth, right? Mm-hmm. Those human elements all matter. So that's where a lot of this comes into play. Again, in Houston, Ryan Putt, Presley's the best guy in their bullpen to get an out, any out. I don't, handedness doesn't matter, mm-hmm. right? He's that good. But in Detroit, Gregory Soto is not always the best guy to get somebody out, right? right? He's got good velocity, but he does have some command issues and he's left, he's left-handed and there's some righties that just eat that up too much. Right. So, I mean, and then again, you go to Cleveland with James Char- uh, Karen Jack hitting the IL. Who's the best chance to get an out in that bullpen? Emmanuel Kloss every time mm-hmm. there's only one, there's only one lefty in that bullpen. And I'm only even talking about this team to say it. It's Anthony ghosts, Anthony ghosts, former blue Jay and tiger outfielder. Now left-handed setup man <laughs> for the Cleveland Guardians. The Guardians have transformed. So has Anthony Ghost. So I am curious to see how this goes. Uh, but anyway, he throws 99. So that's cool. He had a cannon in the outfield uh, and was fast, but nothing else. But it doesn't matter. Like that's, I mean, I'm going to tell that same story about closers every single time. Mm-hmm. Uh, pay up for the ones that are definitely the best bet to getting out in every situation, not just from like a numbers perspective, but from like a team confidence perspective. Right. And if that's the case, pay up for those guys. Right. That's simply not true about Scott Barlow. You can't be that confident in Scott Barlow that he's that much better than Josh Stallmount all the time. Right. Cause he's kind of not right. And Taylor Rogers, it's a deep bullpen in Minnesota. Weirdly. Right. So that's the kind of stuff you should just be always thinking about. Is this the guy that everyone on that team would say he's the one who should get this out? If that's the case, and there are some of those out there, obviously Edwin Diaz is Liam Hendricks. Yeah. Josh Mm -hmm. Hader. Those guys, they're the ones that you should pay up for. And everyone else pay. Yeah. Never pay full price. And even Edwin Diaz will give you white hairs. You know, he'll even, yeah, he's, um, and uh, so, okay, so now uh, Pirates also came out with some news today about their closer, David uh, Bednar. A lot of people were expecting him to be the guy, uh, but uh, Pirates came out and said that it's going to be a committee approach with David Bednar and Chris Stratton. So it's just reinforcing what you, what you were saying and also reinforcing what you were saying also about Barlow. Uh, Royals used several pitchers in the closers role last season. So you, you, you're right. I mean, who's to say that Barlow's just going to be the guy exclusively this, this season, but uh, that's, uh, that's, that's just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to pirates news today, because O'Neill Cruz, six foot seven, two twenty shortstop was sent out to triple a today. 
And again, we're doing this podcast. We're recording this podcast on March 29th. So Scott Cruz was having a nice spring, hitting the ball hard. He's known for having that elite exit velocity. And the Pirates at one point this spring had said that they wanted to get him some reps in the outfield. I mean, you know, why? Why are you getting him these reps in the outfield? I know at 6'7", 220, probably not going to end his career as a shortstop. But what? Are you, are you looking to get Kevin Newman? Newman! <laughs> playing time at short? I mean, to me, this is just basically uh, service time manipulation, no? I mean, there's the only reason to go to the ballpark is to watch Brian Reynolds and Cabrian Hayes. Mm-hmm. Right? You're not going there to catch, to finally and catch Cruz. Jose Quintana. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, that's that's not why you went to PNC Park. It's simply not the reason. Um, I mean, obviously, this lineup is atrocious. O'Neill Cruz would have been an interesting piece of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he could have been a, a nice little, like, lightning rod for them. I think that he could have just stolen some bases and done some fun stuff. And now we have to wait for that to happen because there's no joy in the state of Pennsylvania. <laughs> well, there's some joy in Philadelphia, but uh, in the uh, part of the state of Pennsylvania where the Pirates play, no, you're right. And you did mention uh, Key Brian Hayes, uh, third baseman who missed a bunch of time last season due to a wrist injury. And now he's dealing with what is being described as a minor ankle injury. So it's, he's day to day, but we'll see. But uh, we had uh, mentioned Mitch Keller earlier in this uh, podcast. And uh, since we're talking pirates, let's talk about him. So, um, you know, post uh, hype sleeper, he was a really, uh, you know, everyone was expecting a lot from him, a big prospect for the pirates. Uh, he's been going off this spring, gained some pop on his fastball. Uh, last outing averaged uh, 97.7 miles per hour on his fastball. That's four miles per hour higher than he did last season. And then had pitched three hitless innings last Thursday. Today, Tuesday, the 29th, another four scoreless innings. Uh, but his fastball, fastball flattened out to a 96.4, still higher than last season. But importantly, Scott, because he's had some issues with his control, no walks today. So good stuff. Great that the velocity is up. Let's just hope that uh, he could maintain his control. Yeah, I I love <clears> – <throat> I mean, actually, I feel bad, but I really enjoy looking at the the old prospect lists for the Pirates because they had these weirdly stacked uh, prospect sets right like at at, in 2016 uh, Mitch Keller wasn't on their top 20 prospect list but it did have Glasnow Meadows Josh Bell Jamison Tyone uh, Harold Ramirez who's still in the majors Cabrian Hayes Cole Tucker who's still on their roster Kevin Newman who's still on their roster and then they go eight deep with guys who are on major league rosters right now and then Elias Diaz and Reese McGuire are both on major league rosters they're 15 and 16 in this system Adam Frazier's a starter uh, over in Seattle. So it's this like crazy deep system and uh, they got nothing to show for it. What about Gary Cole, right? Was he <clears throat> yeah. Oh no, he, he had already graduated. <laughs> oh, okay. Right. This, this prospect, the prospects the, for the pirates have been insane for like a decade and they have nothing to show for it. It's really sad. Uh, and Mitch Keller kind of stays in that. Um, I haven't heard enough about what Nick has to say, but I am not super interested in Mitch Keller. At best, he's more interesting as a streamer than he was two days ago. But that's it. That's as far as I'll go. <laughs> yeah, I think we have to listen to uh, Nick tomorrow on his Twitch broadcast because I want to hear what he says uh, about um, what Keller did today. So, But you're right. The 
when it comes to pitching, we take our, our lead from Nick Pollock and, and Alex Fast. So, but it is nice to see a guy like Keller who was formerly a top prospect and then just kind of lost it. Uh, it's nice to see that uh, he's having a decent spring. Hopefully it carries over into the regular season. So, yeah. And, uh, you know, we, we can't go through a podcast without mentioning your Detroit Tigers because, uh, you know, Yes, they're great, right? So uh, Spencer Talkerson, Riley Green, looking at opening day rosters, A.J. Hinch kind of hedging a little bit, but it sounds like they're going to be on the opening day roster. What's your gut feeling? So my gut feeling thinks that Riley Green probably won't just because there's enough outfield options right now anyway Mm -hmm. to send him down. Um, and I think the same is probably true for Torkelson, but slightly less so. I think both are very ready in a lot of in a lot of ways. But still, I mean, Riley Green hit really well in AAA, but it was still for only 40 games. Right. That's his only sample. Same for Torkelson, if I recall, uh, also hit really, really well. Um, but I mean, Torkelson right now could be a 30 home run hitter. Um, and uh, Riley Green right now could be a 25, 15 guy in a full season. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't project that, but I mean, they very well could be. I don't think they're going to quite play that many games though. I, I'd peg them both for like a hundred to 120, uh, just between like just being sat sometimes and then being, you know, put in and then sent down for two weeks and then brought back up. And then, Oh, you twisted your ankle slightly, uh, or you snapped yourself with a rubber band. Let's send you down for 10 days. Uh, bring you back up as they continue to get looks at guys on the roster, because realistically the window for this team is next year, not this year, unless some weird things happen, but it's next year. And that means they need to know exactly what they have. And uh, at that point, you know, that's where I think you'll see guys like green wait because they really want to get a good look at, but do, especially in an everyday role, mm-hmm. uh, you get one last look at like Victor Reyes, who they got in the rule five several years ago, Um, you get just a couple more looks at a few, you know, they've got a couple more outfielders in the system that they probably want to take more looks at like Derek, Derek Hill and Daz Cameron, um, Bryant Packard's a guy who's getting a little older, was a college hitter, uh, that's been interesting in the past. Uh, Parker Meadows, he's only in high a, but you know, there's, there's a lot of players this team's going to want to take a look at. So even if they start up, I, I don't expect them to stay up all year i think they'll go down quite a few times interesting okay that's an interesting take um i actually drafted torkelson and i've haven't uh drafted green yet but uh torkelson first base third base eligible in yahoo league so hoping he does get to play uh, a lot of the season but we'll see so um big time position battle taking place in philadelphia there scott for uh at third base uh, Philly's trying to figure out what they're going to do at their base. It's like that old famous Abbott and Costello bit. Who's on first? What's on second? I don't know who's on third. Right, because Philly's uh, wanted to give the job uh, to Alec Bohm. Uh, wanted him to make himself the obvious choice, but the last time I looked, he was uh, batting 105 this spring, 2 for 19. Um, you just can't make things easy on him. And they're also looking at uh, Johan Camargo, Remember him from the Braves. Uh, now the Braves have Austin Riley. Don't need Camargo. Camargo is also playing some second base for them too. But uh, Camargo, 5 for 18 this spring, 
278 batting average. And your old buddy, Nick Castellanos, I forgot that he played some third base early in his career. He's been taking some ground balls for the Phillies as well. But uh, Bryson Stott, highly, highly regarded prospect, uh, they were actually looking at him. I think we've spoken uh, about him on this podcast. They were looking at him as an option at shortstop because they weren't really crazy with uh, what D.D. Gregorius brought to the table for them uh, last season. But D.D.'s looking pretty good this spring. But Stott, Bryson Stott's making it really hard for them because uh, he, last I looked, 8 for 15 with a stolen base. That's a 533 batting average this spring. I mean, they'd love to get his bat in the everyday lineup, but Phillies need to figure out what they're doing at third base this season. Yeah, and unfortunately, I think they're going to find that Alec Bohm is probably their best option, uh, especially now. I do think Stott is a guy that will be interesting at some point in fantasy this season. Uh, it just might not be till the second half of the season. Uh, he has excellent plate discipline. He's hit really well every stop of the way so far, but he hasn't spent spent much time in AAA yet, so I expect him to to get some of that. He's got some power. He's got some speed. Not a ton of either one, but should be interesting as a rookie Carmargo is just a guy. Um, there's a reason that he got, you know, he was playing for Atlanta because Austin Riley couldn't stop striking out. And the moment he showed the moment Riley showed any sign of improvement, Carmargo hit the bench hard. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, I just don't think that there's enough other options and that they're not going to do anything unless they start losing uh, quite a bit. Right. Because I think they want to say that they have a good veteran roster and a pitching staff that could outperform itself a little bit with Nola and Wheeler. We've seen Gibson perform better than we expect. Uh, you know, Ranger Suarez had a nice little start to last season. They've got some peace in the bullpen. I think they think they can contend. Um, so I think they're going to want to rely on, on, you know, already major leaguers. The thing about Bohm specifically is that he does have options left. So having him get sent down, for an outfielder type or something like that could happen or like Ronald Torres or Yairo Munoz, who are both guys that have been around the league for a while. Uh, they have both of them down in the, uh, as non-roster invitees right now, Scott Kingery still out there somewhere yeah, doing stuff. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he, uh, he could be someone that that comes in if they need it. But ultimately I think what they want is Alec Bohm to do something and hit two thirty. Hit 240. If he does that, I think he'll leave him. Yeah. All right. So uh, as we close out, uh, let's just uh, take a look at some spring training stats, some players that have been doing well and some that have been struggling this spring. Uh, Just in general, Scott, how much do you rely on spring training stats when you do your player evaluations? Uh, I mean, I know a lot of times we don't want to really – you know, focus in on them, especially, you know, with veteran players. But well, let's face it, real life teams do look at spring training numbers and, uh, you know, their player evaluations. So, yeah, I don't use it as a talent evaluation as much as I use it for a current status. Uh, it's really important to me for guys who were hurt. Um, that's a big one, seeing them in spring training. Um, seeing guys like, uh, Joe Adele, who's hit really well in mm-hmm. spring training so far. He's still striking out mm-hmm. uh, quite a bit, which isn't great, but it's under 30%. Yeah. Right. And that's all we've been saying is like, God, just strike out less than 30% of the time. And there's playable talent here. Those are the things I'm looking at. 
I don't care as, you know, sometimes I care about like positions guys play when it also comes out with news that they might do that. And the position is something like third or second or something that I care about um, or catcher, right? That would matter. But otherwise, especially for hitters, I don't care that much. I, I care more about the manager's feelings about players mm-hmm. because they're doing a lot more than looking at stat sheets for that. Right. Right. Um, it's the one thing like this. There's no stat line that is going to change my opinion much on Torkelson and green. Right. They could have gone hitless all spring. They would not what, have moved one bit. What about Badu if he was hitless, by the way, Badu hit a, a, a home run off a lefty pitcher. Uh, I think within the past week, he so doesn't very, have a lefty problem. Well, he has yeah. a lefty problem, but not more than any other lefty. Yeah. That's why. And if you, if you look, it, it it's getting there, but we'll see. It's mm-hmm. all about how much the tigers think he has a platoon problem. And not so much whether he really has one or not. I just but, wanted to work Badu's name into the podcast. Oh, you have That's to, all. Yeah. Uh, especially mm-hmm. because he's, you know, he's hot and <laughs> he's a guy that, you know, you should be paying a lot of attention to. We had a great going deep come out on the site a little while ago uh, that I recommend you all come out, uh, that you all go and look at uh, about Akil Badu and, and that his problems against lefties aren't what you think. Mm-hmm. So uh, definitely something I would have you go and take a look at. But even then, a whole single season of platoon splits is a generally unreliable sample, right? Um, so anything, any like one thing I never look at in the spring are platoon splits. I'll look to see if they get to play or if the manager does weird stuff with the lineup. Like seeing Badu in the lineup against a lefty is cool. The fact that he hit a home run is cooler. Uh, but ultimately, it's it's all about like what is the what are the what are these managers trying to do? Right. And then with players, it's, are you healthy? Do you look healthy? Um, You know, is there, did you have news about, you know, having Cedric Mullins do so well in spring and then having a secondary narrative to go with it. Right. Oh yeah. I stopped hitting from, you know, one side. Mm -hmm. Right. So like that can be interesting, but it's always multiple pieces. It's never just the stats. Well, you bring up the fact that Padu is playing, you know, batting against left-handed pitching and, and, that matters. Play, yeah, yeah, it definitely matters. And players that, uh, you know, have problems, you know, with their splits, I mean, how are they going to get better? Unless, you know, we talked about um, Walsh before that he actually set up his pitching machine to throw the ball to him as if, it, you know, he, it was coming from a left-handed uh, pitcher. The, the only way you're going to get better is by facing your fears, right? So that's a good point on your part. But uh, Joe Adele, three home runs, seven RBI, three stolen bases so far this spring. Uh, like you mentioned, K's still a little bit of an issue, but better, right? Um, Connor Joe, 10 for 19 with a 526 batting average. Unfortunately, it's going to be hard for him to get some some uh, regular bats in Colorado, right? I mean, um, Tyrone Taylor, Milwaukee uh, outfielder, three home runs, seven RBI this spring, 538 batting average. Uh, again, does he have a, a path to get regular at-bats in Milwaukee? Uh, to me... Taylor, given every day at bats, 15 home run, 10 stolen base potential. But the guy I wanted to focus on a little bit is Cody Bellinger. And a lot of, you know, MLB Network is focusing in on him. A lot of podcasts are too. Just to stop for a second. Three for 22 batting average, 136 this spring. Three for 22, but a batting average of 136 is what I meant to say. 15 Ks in his first 22 spring at bats. That's a 65% K rate and just seems kind of desperate, confused. Uh, Bill Plunkett, the Dodgers beat writer for 
the Orange County Register reporting that Bellinger's like tweaking his swing like almost every day. So uh, former MVP to, to be struggling like this is, you know, you know, very concerning. You hate seeing someone this lost. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like even if uh, it reminded me of when this like earlier uh, or actually in the fall of last year, I went and played uh ladder ball, you know, where you throw like there's the two balls connected by a string. You throw it at this mm-hmm. like set of poles that are across from you and you try to get it to wrap around. The, at one point I got so lost in it. I couldn't even get close and my adjustments made it worse. Mm-hmm. Right. It, it's, you know, it's the yips, it's whatever, right. It, it happens. It stinks to see that. I think that the projection systems are doing a decent job telling you to, if you, try to write in like a 25 10 player with not great batting average and an okay OBP that you might not be disappointed. Right. And then there's upside for more. That's what drives the, you know, and plenty of counting stats. Cause I do think he'll play most days, but, but it's tough. And it's certainly, you know, again, in, con- I, I don't care about the stats as much, but in context, a guy who just struggled really mightily for a whole season uh, to then, come in spring training and struggle worse, right? Like not, not great, not mm-hmm. at all. What I, what I wanted to see, especially after he hit so well in the postseason. Yeah. Right. So like, yeah. that's the one ray of hope that you've got is that he did hit well in the postseason, but that was only 12 games, 39 plate appearances. Right. Right. So it kind of gets offset by this load of crap. So it's not fun, but it'll, I think it'll eventually work out, but your expectations, I don't see how you can rely on anything, but the projection models, because it's just such an unusual case. Yeah. MLB network did a good job. I was watching them last night where they, you know, when they do that deep dive into, you know, your, your, your swing and they, you know, put the two videos next to each other. And prior to his shoulder surgery, they were showing that his, uh, batting stance and the way he was swinging at the ball he was getting a lot more loft and and now he's the the he's extending the bat where you know he's not getting the loft anymore but i mean you know um you just you know wish for the best and um like i said former mvp and to see him struggling this badly is pretty sad but uh miguel sano still striking out 55 percent of the time 10 k's in his first 18 at bats this spring, lost 25 pounds in the offseason, came into camp the best shape of his life, but didn't fix his so swing. Was he like this. swinging the bat too fast now? <laughs> Maybe. What, you know, what exactly, what exactly <laughs> is going on here? Because we've talked about it several times. Yeah. The twins don't need Miguel Sano. Right, right. They Kirilov have could just go to first, play first base. They've got a lot of moving parts in that lineup we talked about you right it's like the one thing they don't need is him mm-hmm. like he he serves a mild purpose at best right and like his presence keeps other guys out of the lineup yeah. because they can't because now you can't put like Kirilov at first because if you could put Kirilov at first you know, you take Miguel Sano out of the whole thing and you see so many pieces just start to fit together a lot better yeah Right. So just something to keep an eye on. Do I think they'll get rid of him? No. Do I think that he'll get moved way down in the order and become pretty much unrosterable, uh, even in 12 teamers? Yes. 
I think yeah. that'll happen at various times throughout the season. I think the biggest myth anyone could ever tell themselves is that they're going to use Miguel Sano for a whole season because that's the worst way to use Miguel Sano. Yeah, there was one lineup that I saw this spring that had Sano followed by Gary Sanchez, and I was like, man, that's that's almost like a you We're know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's a DFS gold for the opposing pitcher, right? So I'm picking that, up that streamer a month in advance. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, so just a few other uh, quick hits here in terms of uh, spring training stats. Merrill Kelly, uh, Diamondbacks pitcher, 8Ks and three innings pitch, no runs. Mackenzie Gore, remember him from the Padres? Uh, 7Ks and five innings pitched across two appearances zero runs this guy matt brash uh very good chance of getting a spot in the mariners starting rotation seven k's one hit one walk and five innings pitch uh jerry depoto a mariners gm heard him in a interview saying to look out for this guy so but i'm mad at depoto because that trade for winker is going to keep my guy julio rodriguez down in the minors for a little while but eh, you know um the mariners might win games yeah. Uh, and actually this Matt Brash guy, if you just look at the stack, you know, the bubblegum card, mm. uh, he's thrown a lot of strikeouts in the minors. Yeah. Um, you know, several walks too, but a lot of strikeouts and I'm not saying it's the same, but I'm saying there was another unheralded guy who kind of came out of nowhere and then went through high a and double a striking everybody out. And his name was Tarek Skubal. And you know how I feel about that? Right. So Matt Brash, not saying he's Tarek Skubal. I'm just saying that the two. Not many guys could say that they're Tarek Skubal, but go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying they share similarities. Yeah. And that he did have really impressive minor league numbers. And I might be paying close attention to his first couple starts. I might be paying close attention to him as a potential streamer early mm-hmm. in the season, especially because you want to get as many starts as you can simply because you don't know how many you're going to get canceled out and you don't want to fall behind in innings pitched, uh, you know, the very first couple weeks of the season. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, just finishing off with a couple of Marlins pitchers, Jesus Lazardo, former A's top prospect so far this spring, seven K's in seven innings pitched, giving up one run, a walk and uh, Alicia Hernandez, Marlins uh, pitcher also six K's, uh, five innings pitch, zero runs. So uh, just uh, a couple of guys to keep in your back pocket uh, and in deeper league. So what's uh, the next week looking like for you? A lot of drafts for you there, Scott? Drafts and rehab. Actually, uh, a lot of my drafts are already done or mostly done. So uh, I just get, you know, I do a couple more. I've got like my my good home league one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then otherwise, it's going to be updating my rankings, getting some tiers in. Um and and really trying to to finalize those so that they're ready to go for the regular season because we're going to start our regular season stuff pretty soon and a big part of that will be going over the hitter list so absolutely yeah i'll uh, i'll have to get back to work on that i should have another one of those coming out very soon uh with updates across the board based on moves and injuries and things like tatis being out a little longer than i hoped yeah all right so i have uh, at least another three drafts and one just uh before opening day so looking forward to to that and uh basically that slams the lid on things for today scott 
And like um, next time we get together, I believe it's Wednesday, April 6th, which is opening day Eve. So it'll be our last podcast before the regular season starts. Looking forward to working with you again for the full season, going over your weekly hitting ranks. So, uh, but until then, uh, don't forget to follow me at Joe Galina, follow Scott at If the Chew Fits, follow our podcast at Hacks and Jacks PL. If there's anything specific you'd like us to cover, please let us know. Subscribe to our podcast. Give us a nice rating. And as always, we hope that all of your fantasies become realities. We'll see you next time.